0: Please open your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to be reading the first six verses. Please stand and rise as we prepare to receive his holy word. Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 6. Paul writes this, As a prisoner of the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. May we receive this word as it was meant for us. Please have a seat. You cast your minds back to science class in school. You might remember that a lot of science class was often filled with the teacher just having you open your book and feeding you a lot of knowledge about how different things work, how chemicals worked, how elements worked. Uh, all the theory behind science. But then one day happened that you came in and you got a little bit more excited because you saw in the science class that things were set up. There's an experiment set up on your tables. You knew that day you wouldn't be learning the head knowledge. You would be putting what you learned into practice. It's always a little bit more exciting when we do that. And that's exactly what's happening right here in Ephesians. In the first three chapters... Paul's been going through the discovery and the teaching of our election, of our salvation, of God, and especially of the church. But now as he shifts into chapter 4, we go from our duty, or I'm sorry, our doctrine, learning about doctrine as Christians, into our duty as Christians, taking what we've learned and putting it into practice. You can see that in the very first verse, if you still have your Bibles open, where Paul says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received, worthy of your election. That's a tall order, Paul. To live a life worthy of God calling us from before all of time to become his elected sons and daughters. How do we do that? What Paul is saying is now that you understand that at least part of what God has done for you, what's your response? How are you going to respond to that? How are you going to take what you've learned and put it into practice? Well, the first way we try to live a life worthy of our calling is to do our part to unify the church, to bring the church into unity, which is, of course, again, God's great plan for us. That is this great secret plan that Paul is just marveling over earlier in Ephesians. And to do that, Paul addresses how the step-by-step process that needs to happen to take people who are coming from all walks of life, different personalities, different perspectives, different races, different cultures. He says, how will we take all of that and unify it when we live in such a divided world, a world that is fractured and fragmented? So Paul guides us through our duty to come together as a united church in three ways, through our character, through God, and through our peacemaking. So I want us to look at this scripture a little closer today, because this is really exciting stuff. This is not, not head knowledge, this is not out there theory, but this is something we can do this week to bring unity to Knox Church. Not that you would ever be the sorts to watch the garbage dump that is reality TV, but if you ever have, you would probably notice that producers genuinely love to take people who are very, very different from each other, throw them into a confined space or on an island somewhere, and then film as they launch at each other's throats, as they get into conflicts, as they get into fights and arguments. That's what makes for that kind of television experience. We kind of sit back and go, oh, this is juicy. You know, these, these two people are fighting. Just taking people and throwing them together in a room isn't going to bring unity. Might make for sort of entertaining trash TV, but that's not the template of a united body. Paul says, I have a different way to go here. If we're to have a new life in Christ, and that's what we're putting on, we find that as part of that, our character is being changed to reflect Jesus Christ. It's a process we go, the process of sanctification that God takes you a very imperfect you and starts to reshape remold you to become more and more like Christ Jesus every day It's very exciting and as we do that Paul lists four key qualities that God is molding into us to create in each one of us a unifier a person who has key qualities that bring about a united church Right there, he lists them for you. They're they're plain as day. Four key qualities to make up a unifier is a person who is humble, who is gentle, who is patient, and who is loving. I love this squad. That's a great list. But it's no surprise that those qualities are not highly sought after in today's society. We don't we don't look at people and go, wow, that sure is a gentle person. I admire that. You know. We, People don't tend to say that. In fact, back in Paul's time, they wouldn't say that either. If you called a person humble or gentle back in Paul's day, they would assume that you were speaking of a slave or a servant. That's that's kind of really low virtues. That's not somebody who's self-promoting. Somebody who's prideful. Somebody who's super, you know, striding about with charisma. And they're extreme and they're confident. and They're showing you all of their great accomplishments. That's what people admired back then. That's what people admire today. But those, that kind of thinking promotes the individual. And what Paul is saying here is that these four qualities are looking out for other people. They're outwardly focused. They're focused toward other people. They're not inwardly focused. I would not say that these are weak qualities. R.C. Sproul said that whenever he did marriage seminars he would do this little experiment where he would separate the men and the women, the husbands and the wives, and he sent send them to different rooms. And they had to come up with a list of the key, three key qualities that they wanted in a spouse. So the men would write what they wanted in a, a wife, and the women would write what they wanted in the husbands. Uh, the men were all over the place, by the way. Their, their lists were always all over the place. But R.C. Sproul said this, the women almost universally wrote the same three characteristics, the same three attributes. And he said it was such an interesting combination. You want to hear the three things that women want in men? Strength, confidence, tenderness. And he said that last one just threw him for a loop. Who would want, you know, like strong and and confident? You can kind of see, but tender. But it does make sense from a godly point of view, from a relational point of view That if somebody's just strong and confident, then maybe they're going around there being an arrogant bully. But what a woman wants, what a wife wants, is somebody who's strong enough to be confident, to be tender. To use that strength to protect people. To use the strength to know how to hold back so as to not hurt other people. And that's what Paul wants in each one of us, male or female. Think of the godly character of Jesus. Jesus embodies all four of these qualities in just extreme measures throughout all the Gospels. You see how strong he is and how he stands for truth even in the face of a sinful world, a world that wants him to capitulate at every turn. You see how Jesus tenderly cares for his flock. He always has compassion upon them. He's always drawing them to him. He's never just lambasting them for all their faults and all the ways that they failed him but instead he draws them toward him. He humbles himself over and over again to help others, to be a servant, to wash feet, to heal people. And as he's dying on the cross, he doesn't swear and curse those who are crucifying him, but he blesses them, he loves them, and he prays for them. That's how strong and how great and how godly a character Jesus was and is. A church finds itself united when it is full of godly men and women who typify the qualities of Jesus Christ. It reminds me of the great preacher Charles Simeon a couple hundred years ago. He had a time when he had some health issues, and he had to step down from the pulpit. And while he was laid up in bed in his home, his assistant had to take the pulpit of his church. It was a very prestigious uh, position at Holy Trinity Church in Cambridge. And his assistants pretty much wowed everybody with how great he was. He preached five times every Sunday. I get off pretty easy, just one time. Five times every Sunday. He was up there and he was just, people were going, wow, we never knew. We never knew how great this guy was. And word got back to poor Charles Simeon, laid up in bed. Can you imagine how it is when somebody comes in and tells you, hey, that guy who's who's stepping in, who's your temporary replacement, He's doing a great job, just tremendous. And you would expect Simeon to be, you know, have jealousy well up inside of him to, to kind of get a little anxious to maybe hobble himself out of bed and go, I'm going to get back to church. You know, I've got to get back as quick as I can. But you know what he said? He said, now I see why I've been laid aside, and I bless God for it. That's a godly man. A man who goes, it's not about me. It's not about my ego. It's about him. God bless the fact that he raised up this assistant to preach in a mightily way. Godly character has no room to nurture or house an ego, to keep track of past wrongs, to fly off the handle every time somebody does or says something you don't like. A couple of decades ago, this true story, there was a a large... Presbyterian church that had a big split. It was just one of those ugly church splits where everybody took a side, that they brought it to the the civil court, they brought it to the church court, and when it was at the church court and the, the church court was deciding who was going to get to keep the building, they found out the story of how this split started, how people started to turn against each other. And it all came down to a church dinner. I kid you not. A church dinner where an elder sat down and got really upset because the child sitting next to him got a bigger piece of ham than he did. Little thing divided a church and suddenly it was like a divorce. That's how we are. We let little things and big things divide us. And I'll tell you, Satan delights in that. He delights in when a church is ripping each other apart internally. Because as long as we're against each other, we can't be out there in the world doing good things for God. And that's what Satan wants. So how we can't counter that? We start to unify the church and it starts with us. It starts with us developing those godly characteristics of humility, of patience, of, of loving tenderness, and of gentleness. This week, Let's practice that. This month, let's practice that and how we deal with each other here at Knox Church. It's time to let those old grudges go. It's time to stop pulling them out every time you want to get upset at somebody. It's time to stop being annoyed at each other. Yes, our personalities don't always fit together. I had a pastor once tell me, Justin, God didn't always command us to like each other, but he did say we have to love each other. And that's That kind of makes sense. Our personalities aren't always going to mesh, but we are commanded to love. Lift up each other. If people have to hear us talking about each other behind their backs, let it always be a compliment. Let it always be something that's building something. I heard somebody talking about you the other day. They were just singing your praises. How how wonderful would that be? Of course, true unity is truly impossible without the help of God. It's not something that we can just do on our own. It's why Paul spends four verses here in this passage pointing us to the Lord when we need our assistance in progressing toward harmony. Paul delivers what actually, some people think, is an early confessional hymn. It's a song he kind of buries here in Ephesians, singing about the coordinated efforts of the three persons of the Trinity in helping the church achieve unity. I want to read this, this picture of a unified church again, if you have your Bibles open, to verse 4. Great verse, great passage, one of those you got to memorize verses. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. What's the word Paul keeps repeating here? One, one. One, one. He's hammering home the concept of what unifies us is far greater than what can ever separate us as a church. We have one body. While the visible church in our world today may be fractured into different buildings, different denominations, the invisible church of Jesus Christ is truly unified. We all are part of one body, and it binds together the church. We have one spirit. The Holy Spirit connects the church, offers us fellowship, and helps to build us up and binds us together. We have one hope. The same hope is true for us as any other believer, that our eternal destination is to be with Jesus Christ in heaven forever. We have one Lord. Our church is not headed up by a pope, by pastors, or by committees. The true head of our church is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, which means we have uh, leadership to follow. We are all following the same guy. And that really helps to clarify a lot. We have one faith. The core of what we believe here is the same as the core of what any true Christian church believes. We may differ on some of the non-essentials, but on the truly essential, we all believe the same. We have one baptism. All Christians go through the same right to enter into the church. And we have one God and Father who is sovereign over, in, and through all things. That gives us a lot of hope that unity is not just a pipe dream. It can be achieved. And the design of the church, God created it so that unity kind of weaves itself together in, in, as we grow closer in our relationships. 1 John 1 3 says that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. The idea that John is saying here is that the closer we get with each other, the closer we grow to God. And the closer we grow to God, the closer we grow to each other. It sort of weaves itself closer and closer if you ever sew something else and you pull it together and you bring that fabric and it's tight together. That's the idea here. We need help. We can't do it on our own. We can't achieve unity on our own. So I ask you, pray this week. Invite the Holy Spirit. Say, God, we can't do it on our own. Help us bring unity to this church. Work through this church so that at every corner, we're just turning around and praising God and say, God, we couldn't have done this. Thank you. Thank you that we're growing closer together and we'll be on our way. Because chances are, if you don't have issues with somebody in this church, you know at least two people who do. It's a fact how churches are everywhere. Gossip Arguments, grudges, fights, they're they're just endemic to churches everywhere. They're part of sin, part of how we are. But how do we overcome that? How can we actually make peace when we're all about bringing war and conflict into our relationships? Well, my wife has a suggestion for you today. She she came up with this idea. She got it from a Facebook group when our two older sons had just one of those days where they were fighting nonstop. When there's a lot of comment, they're like, he touched me and he fought and he punched me and he took this. And just like she, she finally just like, I had enough. And she got a creative solution from Facebook. So she took one of my t shirts and said, Boys, come here, stand next to each other. And she put my shirt over them both. So their heads popped out the top like they were a weird little two headed turtle. And Jeremiah got one arm. And Benji got the other, and she said, now you two are going to spend the next hour together doing everything. I don't care if you have to go to the bathroom, you're going to do it together. I don't care if you're playing with the toys, you're going to do it together. And the idea was that maybe the silliness and the close proximity would bring them some sort of peace. She did not know, <laughs> of, course, of course, what happened, you know, that they just fought all the more, you know, just punching each other under his shirt. And what happens, my shirt ends up getting ripped, which is the true tragedy here in this situation. (laughs) So it's probably not a good solution for us to take two church members that have conflict with each other and put a shirt over them, uh, although sometimes it is tempting. Paul has maybe a better idea. Verse 3 here. This is Paul's idea. He says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Paul sees that the church is progressing toward unity, but even back then wasn't there yet. We're always progressing toward it. And so he says, in order to get there, he urges us in very strong language to make every effort to bring peace into the church. Every opportunity you possibly can bring peace into the church. Now, he's also kind of making a pun here. Do you see it? Because he's a prisoner. He's a prisoner of Rome. He's very well acquainted with chains, with bonds. And so he doesn't suggest that maybe we take fighting church members and we we bond them together with iron chains, but rather that they be chained together with peace. How do you do that? Well, to do that, you need peacemakers. You need people who are very good, I come in at identifying situations where there's conflict, people are bold enough, wise enough, gentle enough to go into those situations and say, hey, I see that you guys are fighting. Let me be an intermediary. Let me help to mediate a solution. Talk to one person, talk to the other person. Can we pray about it? Let's not shy away from this conflict. I think a lot of people don't become peacemakers because we're allergic to conflict. We see it between two people, and we would much rather step back and turn our attention somewhere else. If you've ever been in a room where two people are fighting, it's one of the most profoundly uncomfortable situations ever. But a a peacemaker is brave enough to go into that situation and say, gentlemen, men, women, let's get to the root of this. What's really causing this conflict? Let's find that piece of ham that's at that dinner, and let's really talk about it. Let's get into that. That's why Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. He wasn't talking about the United Nations. He was talking about the men and women of the church who made it their gifts to bring in peace into every situation. Maybe not even just specific men and women, but to all of us, to please God. One of my favorite verses on this subject is comes from Paul in the book of Romans. I know some of you are studying Romans in Sunday school. I love this verse. He says, If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. I love that because that makes that, I breathe such a sigh of relief when I read that verse because the world tells me I need to be in utter constant conflict with Everybody. I need to be arguing with people who are politically opposed to what I believe. I need to be arguing with people who are religiously opposed to what I believe. I need to be just arguing and arguing and fighting and fighting. And Paul says, if at all possible, be a peacemaker. It's not always possible. Jesus said, I, bring, I did not come to bring peace but the sword. Conflict is inevitable between the world and Jesus, but we don't need to invite it. and We especially don't need to be brewing conflict in our church. We need to be bringing peace into our relationships, peace into how we conduct the business of the church. And not just casually doing it, but aggressively pursuing peace, making it our goal, prioritizing it. I have a priority list every day that I wake up and I look through and I have three levels of priority. Three red exclamation marks means that needs to get done today. I should always have aggressively pursue peace at the top of my list. I think we all should. Paul has laid out for us this breathtaking formula, a very practical formula for how we can achieve unity in the church through four qualities of godly characteristics, humility, gentleness, patience, loving tolerance. By going to the Holy Spirit, the Son, and the Father and saying, we invite you to come in. Help us to achieve this unity and by aggressively becoming peacemakers in our church. That's how we can move toward peace and unity here at Knox. I think it would be a great thing. I'm not saying we're a church that's just got an irreconcilable division. I think I've always seen a lot of peace, a lot of grace, a lot of these characteristics here at the church. I'm just asking for more. I want more and for myself too. We have more to go. Each one of us is called to read this scripture and to respond to it, to say, how can I do my part to bring unity to God's church, the Lord's church today? Let's pray. Lord, I love how this passage just makes us dwell, stop and really think about how important it is to be part of a unified church. Lord, just the thought of what we could accomplish if we were truly united together in our purpose, in our personalities, in our relationships. Lord, it's stunning. We could do so much. We already are doing a lot, but Lord, we could do so much with your help. I just ask you and invite you, welcome you with open arms. Help us to be a peaceful church. Help us to be a united church. Help us to be a church that the week after the election, we look at those who might have voted differently and we say, I love you, brother. I love you, sister. I love you because we worship the same God. I don't love, It's not a conditional love, it's unconditional. Lord, help us to be just like you in how we tr- minister to other people. Help us never to have a list of people we think are worthy or unworthy to minister to, to welcome into the church, to love. But Lord, we just aggressively pursue peace. We live peaceably on all possible. And Lord, I just thank you for the godly men and women that you've given to this church that are willing to stand up and to put their egos aside for other people, to love other people, to gracefully treat them, to be willing to be the first person to say, I'm sorry, maybe I did something wrong in in this conflict and I'm, I'm willing to be that person to be the first to say that. Lord, we just thank you because it's exciting to know that you are working in this church. You are working in all churches to bring about unity. We're excited to see that happen. In your name, amen. Now receive a benediction from Galatians. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen. Go in peace today. Bring unity to our church.